This is Customer Obsessed, the show that dives into the nitty gritty challenges of entrepreneurship and genuine customer connection. In today's episode, we're doing a short strategy workshop with Glenn Stoffel, co-founder of Think It Done, a strategic consultancy for customer-facing teams. In the first half, we'll cover what a strategic statement is and why your company needs one. And in the second half, Glenn will walk us through how to translate your existing strategy into a clear, actionable strategic statement that your team can rally around to achieve your business goals. So grab a pen and paper or your keyboard and let's get started. Today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Glenn Stoffel. Glenn, how are you today? I'm doing great, Eric. Really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We've talked on this podcast about really understanding the difference between a vision, a strategy, and a plan. And I like to talk about visions as being things that are the big, hairy, audacious goals you know, Salesforce back in 2000 saying that they were going to eradicate software from the planet. Amazon saying back in the early 90s that they wanted to deliver everything to your doorstep. And if you think about those two things back then, those were big, huge visions that the companies could rally around, but they didn't have an ounce of strategy within their statements. Strategy is about how do you start to tack towards that vision? And then having a plan is how do you have real metrics and financials and things that your CFO can bless that allows you to start to execute on that strategy. Today, we're going to talk about strategy. And of all the people that I know in the marketplace, Glenn is probably the top person at being able to sit down with companies and figure out how to properly articulate a strategy, form a strategy. And it's just a really, really important piece of this puzzle for an organization that is customer obsessed and for organizations that are growth oriented. So that's why we have Glenn here today and we're going to talk about strategy. You up for that, Glenn? I'm in, Eric. Let's do it. Where do we take this thing? Like when you sit down with a customer, when you sat down with our management team at Blue Wolf 10 years ago when we first started going through this process, what are the starting points? I think the starting point is is just teasing apart the nuance that you just started to hit on, which is, you know, what's the difference between a vision and a mission, and a strategy, and a plan. And I think vision and mission, particularly for growing companies, is I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's the reason people join you. Like, where are we going and why we exist? So like Tesla example, right? And the vision side is to create the most compelling car company of the 21st century by driving the world's transition to electric vehicles. And people are like, hell yeah, I want to be a part of that. And they sign up and there's a role and, and they go, I'm good at that job, I can go do it. And they get in. And they start doing their job. And any one person's job is made up of to-dos and effectively plans. You know, they're out there executing. I think where strategy fits in is you get to a certain stage and size where vision and mission are known and they're, and they're sort of felt. But when they have to think about their day-to-day and when it's no longer feasible for them to come to Eric's office and knock on the open door, you want to set them up to make their own decisions. And in order to make their own decisions, you have to set some good guides. And that's a strategy. And in particular, having a strategy statement is a really good fundamental exercise to get to that type of clarity. You know, realistically, for anybody listening, you're at some progression of that. And so maybe this will sound familiar to you. You know, we were doing planning for the year. And all of a sudden, you know, one of our leaders, James Hines, said to us, hey, guys, uh, it would be great if you give this some clarity so that I can make my plans 
And I know that I'm going to be aligned with where we're trying to head. Do we have a strategy? And I think if we asked our executives- <laughs> that, that, ni- that was a nice way of him saying, you guys don't know what they're doing, right? Like- <laughs> or, yeah, or do you know what you're doing? And, and the good news is we were at least self-aware enough to go, ooh, he's got a point. <laughs> right. And, you know, that is, okay, how would we go about that? And luckily, he also forwarded us on to a really cool article that we could probably put in the show notes. It was a Harvard business case that said, do you know what your strategy is or something along those lines? And it had some good examples and it had some good models for how to sort of break down and have this conversation with your company. And we sort of used that as a leaping off point. And we brought together initially a cross-functional group of our, our senior leaders. And then we socialized it with that next level. That's how we started to engage on it. So Glenn, what goes into a strategy statement? What is it going to do? And what do people need to include to make sure that it's effective? Yeah, effective strategy statement, you know, again, first, like, why are you doing it? You're doing it not for a command and control. You're actually doing it because you're at a place where you need to let go of some of that control and trust in your leadership and, and in their teams to go and execute and do their jobs well. And so the first thing is the principle is that it should be a guide that helps them make decisions. And if it's going to help them make decisions, it's got to be super clear. And so I know, Aaron, you'll appreciate this given your business, but like words matter. And the choices of the words you know, that you go to really matter. And so what I'll say is like two things on that. One is the words you choose have to be as clear about what you do as what you won't do, as who you are, as who you are not. Because in there are clear choices people can make about, you know, we're going after this market, but we're not going after this market anymore. Some of those are moments in time. So choosing those words wisely, what you do, what you don't do. The second is, and this is really hard for growing organizations because you got there because of possibility. And that clarity forces some letting go of possibility, but it also then crystallizes people's focus. Fighting for that clarity means you're going to have to make some tough choices about saying, we don't do this, which I think is a, a key part of it. For us, when we went through this at Blue Wolf, that was the key point in our evolution where we just made the statement that we were only going to be in the Salesforce market. And back then, it was so easy to chase any cloud SaaS application. There were hundreds of them that we could have built practices around. And it was at this point when we actually really defined our strategy in 35 words that we made that decision to stay focused on Salesforce. I think the next piece is like, this is a team sport. It's a catalyzing moment. Getting your people around this process and this exercise, it gets you, number one, really innovative ideas. It's not going to come from the top completely. It also gets you buy-in, like people were a part of it. They recognize their words. They recognize their sentiment. They see themselves within it. For it to be effective, it's got to be viewed through a realistic lens, or I will say it will ultimately be judged by your culture. And they're going to view it in a very realistic way. So I think the next thing to think about is if any of your strategy statement is going to be aspirational you have to be super conscious and realistic about what the gaps are between that aspiration and where you really sit today. And so again, engaging your team, understanding your employees, and you can be appropriately aspirational, but your plan to get there is key and your employees are going to judge it on the reality, not the aspiration. And I think finally, it's, it's short and sweet. As you said, 35 words. I don't know if there's magic there. We literally took that out of that article and said, okay, that seems like something good to, to rally around. Could it be 40? Could it be 32? But I can remember, Eric especially after we iterated a few times, like you and I had some drop down, drag out sessions over little words, like for days. 
but they matter. They really signal what you stand for. I want to just make sure we don't gloss over another comment that Glenn just dropped there around culture. I think particularly over the last five years, people are now aware of how powerful a strong culture is for an organization. People are also aware of how destructive a negative culture is. But one of the comments that Glenn just made was the executive team doesn't own the culture. In fact, the executive team isn't really in the culture. And that really comes out through these exercises because as you engage more people in the organization and creating your strategy and as you solicit their input and make them feel like their feedback is valued, you will learn about your culture and you'll probably learn things that you don't know and maybe you don't want to know or you don't like to know. But this exercise really helps to steer the culture in a positive direction. The last piece of it, you sort of hit on already, Eric, but it's worth repeating, which is once this thing launches, it has to be living and breathing. And the way it lives and breathes is through how you communicate and how you explain the ongoing decisions that you're making as a leadership team within the context of that strategy. And it's okay to adjust or change, but it all comes through that lens. And if you aren't bringing this thing actively into your daily, weekly, monthly communications with your organization, if it doesn't find its way down through OKRs or goals or team plans, count plans, that type of thing, you'll miss the mark. You'll actually do yourself a disservice. You'll squander the opportunity of capturing that moment in time. Yeah. And that starts at the top, right? That starts with how an organization just creates a cadence of communication and uses their strategy statement as their ongoing mantra. It can't have confusing words. It can't have things that you made up. We've all worked inside of big companies that all of a sudden start to brand things with acronyms and, and hieroglyphics. Keep it simple. Make it so that if a brand new hire comes on board a year after you built this thing, it's one of the first things they learn in an onboarding session. And it makes sense. And they can gravitate towards it. It's really important that it's clear. Once Blue Wolf's strategy statement was complete and you shared it with the entire team, can you share a story or two about times where the strategy statement led you to either embrace an opportunity or say no to one? I'll tell you a specific choice of word that we use that signaled what we wouldn't do anymore, right? So if you okay. think, about, think about the services business, I'm going to see if I can remember this, but we were to become a X million dollar you know, company by 2018 by being the partner of record was one of the phrases that we used. And we said, why do we choose partner of record? And it was because we were trying to signal that we did not want the one-off deal anymore. We weren't aspiring to the, you know, just let's just go place a resource somewhere. We wanted to be ingrained with them. And actually we had annual, we chose annual in our statement as well. Because we wanted more of our business model to be all about that ongoing managed service that we had had called Blue Oak Beyond. And so those were specific choices where we were signaling to the organization, and that should be reflected in their comp plans and in their incentives, that we didn't want those one-off things anymore. And so we complemented that with how we wrote our comp plans so that it followed suit. And so we said no to some deals. So it became more about deeper customer relationships and developing those partnerships on an ongoing basis. We were really working towards trying to move the company away from a traditional professional services time and materials model into more of an agency style model. And we moved a big piece of our portfolio into that model. And having this statement in place really made us gut check deals and gut check contracts and gut check a lot of the process that exists within a business 
to tack towards this strategy. And it was very, very helpful. We also were looking for the type of companies who embrace a partner who believed in transformation and wanted that outside influence in the transformation. And so we were very clearly signaling that we weren't going after those companies who just wanted body shop, who thinks you could just plug in. There's a way to be able to confidently say no to certain deals. That's a bold thing to do as a growing company. You know, that, yeah. I mean, that, that's probably the biggest leap of faith you're taking when you're setting down this type of clarity. So we had a guest on a few weeks ago, Matt Manos from Very Nice, and he runs a strategic design consultancy. And their model is half pro bono, half for profit. And I'd asked him the question, like, isn't it really hard working with nonprofits? And one of the things Matt said that really has stuck with me was he said, great design requires knowing your constraints. And if you can show a designer constraints, they can build something amazing. It's when you don't know those constraints that things become amorphous and they have no structure. And so having a strategy statement is the same thing. As much as it's laying down how you tack towards that vision, it's also laying down what your constraints are. And you give an organization clarity around constraints and you give them freedom within those constraints, amazing things happen. So how do we put this thing into action? I always like to do this with an example in mind. I know, Aaron, you've got a, got a few businesses, right? You're an up-budding entrepreneur. Three companies, I think you run? <laughs> yeah, three different ones. That's all, just three. <laughs> just, so just talk, three talk, no about, talk about needing constraints. Holy right? God, you know. <laughs> Aaron's a great example. I mean, like, should we use one of your companies? Like, should we give it a whirl? Yeah, I'm up for it. Sure. All right. What, what are we going to use? You know, just because... This is one I'm really working on right now. Let's work with afternoon tea and copy, the writing and editing side of things. All right, cool. For people listening, this would be the time to hit pause after I say the following. Grab a piece of paper, or if you're typing, and just write down some of these things. What I'm going to give you is a bit of a structure. I'm going to ask some types of questions that's really going to provide a, a framework. We'll talk later about a, a complimentary framework and mural that you guys can go and, and use after the fact. But just write this down because as I'm asking these questions of Aaron, listen to that, but also be thinking about the structure and the, and the questions. I think that's really the power of this. And it's, and it's really quite straightforward. Where the strategy statement starts to come together, it's really got five key components that we boil down. The first is two, as in T-O, and that's going to be what your aspirational goal is. You know, that should be the big, hairy, audacious goal, three to five years, it should feel big, it should feel aspirational. Not unrealistic, but challenging because it puts you in the right mindset for the rest. So that's two, by offering, what are we selling to the market? What product or service do we market? This is another key spot where what we do sell and what we don't sell it becomes key. And what we offered five years ago, even a year ago, may not be relevant. And so thinking about what that sweet spot is between your offerings, your competitors' offerings, your customers' needs, and the market dynamic and how it's changed gives you a sense for, are we in a sweet spot now? Or are we heading towards where we think the sweet spot's going to be? To whom are we offering it? Who do we sell to? As Eric said earlier, we said we're just in the Salesforce market when we were doing the blue of one. And the following one is, I don't know, it's four and five or four and five. Sometimes I combine them, but it's basically doing what and then organize how. Doing what is, what's your unique process? How are you uniquely delivering your service? As Eric said, we were signaling that managed service model, that annual agency type model was the unique way, the unique process that we were trying to bring forward and then organize how, like how do you set up your teams of people to go in and execute? So those are the five buckets. So Aaron, let's start at the top. 
where with afternoon tea and coffee, what's the goal? What is that aspirational goal that you have? Maybe you have to give a little bit of a baseline to people, share what you're willing to share, but give us a sense for what that goal is. So it actually, thinking about it, it makes me a little bit nervous. Uh, <laughs> but I, mean, I feel like that's a sign that it's uh, probably a big enough goal to try and hit. So You should not be comfortable answering this question. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Good. Perfect. That's where I want you. So I will say, I mean, in the next five years is to get to the million dollar mark, to become a million dollar copywriting agency. Okay. And uh, just for perspective for everybody, is that like 5X, 10X? Like it's pretty, it's, it's pretty big, right? Oh, oh yeah. It's okay. huge. That, that's good. All right. So, so there's a million dollar mark. Now, quick question there and just a comment is, first off, good job. You picked a goal that is actually a business outcome goal. So it, it should be rooted in business outcome, loosely termed revenue, profit, market share, or a primary indicator in your business that might attribute to you know, one of those top metrics. What I will say is I've also done this for nonprofits and you end that statement because, which is business oriented with, and this is the impact it's going to have for my social impact. So this is perfectly suitable for both business as well as nonprofit, but all of those need to be viable concerns. So they typically start with a revenue or business oriented goal, and then they add the social piece after that. So, okay, so we're going, we're going for a million. Is your revenue one time in nature or is that a million dollars of recurring revenue? Like what type of revenue is that? You color that for me. I'm actually in the process of switching things around a, a little bit to get to more of a subscription-based model. And so I'm hoping, my goal is to make that recurring. And again, form deeper, ongoing customer relationships and partnerships. And so that is is the goal, is to make that recurring. Million dollars a year. Love it. Million dollars recurring. And so, so that starts to tip us into buy offering. So you started to talk about one characteristic of your offering, which is that it's going to be sold in a subscription set, right? So that's one characteristic. But what are you selling? And again, if I'm a potential customer, or maybe I'm not, like that's part of your choice. We'll get to that next. What is it you are selling to me on this annual subscription type basis? So it's just going to be annual copywriting and editing subscriptions. It can be anything from a, you know, a, a blogging or article writing subscription to email, really anything that is content related that can be packaged up. Any internal, external communication, right? Right. Any external, internal communications that have to do with content strategy and content creation. Okay. So Aaron, what I want you to do on a, a piece of paper next to you or a virtual collaboration tool, whatever you have at your fingertips, just draw for me one big circle. Okay. That represents your market what's happening in the market, what's changing, customer point of view, legislative point of view, competition point of view, right? Like broad stroke, what's happening in the market. And then in the middle of that, draw three circles that overlap in a Venn diagram. Okay. The first circle represents your customer's needs. The second circle represents your competitor's offers. And the third circle represents your capabilities. Now, when you're doing your capabilities, just quick side for everybody, they have to be realistic. What are our capabilities now? Again, there could be some aspiration. We know we need to enhance. We're going to invest in these capabilities in order to meet this market. That's fine. But you have to make sure you're balancing the aspiration with the reality because you can't go from aspiration to aspiration, you can, but you can't go from reality to aspiration. So you said it's these types of services. We want to sell them annually. We're trying to find a sweet spot that is unlike your competition, 
that your customers need that's taking advantage or that is knowledgeable of what's changing in the market that makes the moment now right for your types of services. What are you thinking about the differentiation of what you're going to offer versus what you've seen people who might compete with you are going to offer? How do you differentiate? I'd say it has to do with the types of writing that I do in terms of what it entails and kind of what their end goals are. Because a lot of this, when you're thinking about content writing and and the purpose of that is to connect with people and to convince people to do business with you. And so the really huge part of that happens to be around storytelling and that basic human connection. And so that's what I'm really good at is bringing that out of people's, you know, technical and day-to-day capabilities is, okay, well, what's the underlying story and why does that matter? And how does that help you sell to more people? And I that's what I help people do. I've heard a couple things so far of words that you're going to like hang on to and you're going to make sure find their way into representativity. I'll give you two examples. One is that offering is annual, okay? So that that's going to find its way in some way, shape or form that's for subscription, whatever way you want to manifest it. But that story base talks about the type of offering and, and the philosophy behind why you think it's going to be more effective, your offer versus others, because you think that narrative-based writing is key for serving what's happening in the market today. That sentiment, if you feel like it's going to be the thing that differentiates, if you feel like you're going to hire 10 people over the course of the next couple of years to get to a million bucks, they have to listen to that and go, I know what that means. And this is the way we roll. And we're not writing, for example, let, let's do a not here. You're probably, based on what you just said, not writing technical specifications. No, no, not at all. But I'm going to offer you, I'm going to offer you $250,000 a year to do that. <laughs> <laughs> It's a quarter of your goal, Aaron. It's a quarter of your number. Come on. It's a quarter of your number, but at the same time, it's got to be work that I enjoy doing. I yeah, mean, but you I could subcontract it to someone else, right? You could send it out to like Mechanical Turk or Offshore or something. Come on, let's go. It's a revenue. It's a deal. All right. Nope. We need the revenue. <laughs> let's go, I, Aaron. I picked a big number just to point out the uncomfortable nature of having to make some of those choices, right? Right. And to find where you stand. What are you standing based upon, right? So, but- if you're coloring it for somebody, this is the type of work we do. This is the type of work we're really not interested in. This is what mm-hmm. we do. And this is why it's unique. And this is why it's different. So that gives you starting a flavor for how you might go and you know, hone in on the offer. And again, really consider that sweet spot today may not be the sweet spot three years from now. And you might be trying to play into where you think that's going. And so there's a movement to it. It's not uh, static. All right. So now we know a few things about your offering. Now the question is, to whom are you selling? What customer segment are you serving? What do they look like? Who are they? So this one is really interesting because I really can work with any industry or market segment, but it has to do more with having similar values in terms of relationship building, in terms of partnerships between the business and its customers, business and its community, all those types of things. So I'd say that it's values-based. And do they value human connection and storytelling? And are we going to be able to work together productively to help them continue to do that? Do they have a mission or a purpose that you would want to feel good about? How far do you take that? Because you could take that to, I'm going to work with nonprofits or I'm going to work, right? So like, where's the line? How do you draw that. I mean, if I had to pick kind of a business 
type within that kind of idea. It, it has to do with smaller kind of startups or, or growth focused businesses that understand the value of storytelling, but might either don't have the capabilities themselves, or even if they do have a small marketing team, they don't really have the bandwidth or capacity to take that on. And so that's where that kind of partnership can really shine is where I can step in and help grow that part of their content strategy, messaging, all of that. Awesome. The reason this is really important, and this is hard, this is not something that you're going to figure out in a 10-minute conference room conversation, is once you put a stake in the sand with what your customer segment is, the smaller you can make it, the better it is for your brand, the easier it is for you to understand your customer when they are trying to figure out your brand and trying to figure out your offering and trying to figure out how to engage with you. And this podcast is all about customer obsession. And I think this might be one of the most important components to defining a strategy is understanding your customer and defining that customer. That will create customer obsessed moments. And, you know, you got a little work to do here, Aaron, but I think you're on the right track. Yeah, Aaron, like, so again, honing in on certain words that you're going to take a stand on, right? So when I heard you say Mm -hmm. growth business, that word could easily be glanced over and say, I just want a growth business. But you said something that sits underneath it. And I'm like, side note here, like when you write a 35 word statement and you choose a word like a growth business as a phrase, right? There'll be some words that sit underneath that, that you unpack to say, here's what we mean by that. And you started to say things like they're growing, they're at a certain stage, and therefore they're not likely to have in-house writers and editors to do this job. They might be at the phase of their single practitioner marketers, right? Mm -hmm. That's a very specific thing. Like, So now you're starting to cover some demographic things that are actually discoverable so you can go find those people. But you're also balancing that with things that are more, say, psychographic, like values-based or purpose-driven or some something else that I'm starting to feel in there that you care about that I don't... Well, let me ask you this, Aaron. Like, So we're going to do this again. So along comes... Uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Along comes an intergalactic oil and fracking company, and they want to offer you blank per year. Like When you start to talk about the values, that, that is another area that you could take a stand on. You could say, we want to work with these types of businesses. Right, right. So there are certainly definite lines in the sand for me on a range of of issues. But certainly when it comes to the environment, that's a really huge one for me. So that would be an easy answer of saying, no, absolutely not. I'm not in the business of repackaging your story to make it more palatable so you can lie to people. I just won't. (laughs) So I think you're going to stick to your guns on that one. I really do. Yep. (laughs) That's a good illustration of the to whom are we selling? And you're starting to get to the fact that some of that could be demographic and very identifiable and used to target and find, and others are going to be value-based and about that match and about that fit and about that feel of who you want to work for. Both clarity points are equally important. Okay, so now we have a sense for, you know, we're going to build a million-dollar annual recurring type of business by offering story-based writing services and to growth businesses. Maybe there's some purpose-driven growth businesses. The last part is about doing what and organized how. Now, organized how is pretty easy the smaller you are, but let's start with the doing what. You're doing what is sort of your unique process. The difference would be like, I'm going to sell automobiles through a dealership or I'm going to sell through online. There are two distinct ways that you're going to sell auto. So like, if you were to try to say, how are you uniquely delivering your services? And 
there can be some overlap here between the offering. So when you say annual, part of that answer comes along for the ride and you're doing what? Because that's a unique way you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. What's unique about how you would engage? I'm not sure how unique this is. So it's probably something that I need to work on. But in terms of, of delivery and engagement and how I, how I do that, it's all digital collaboration. I'm not sure if that really gets to what you're speaking to, but... Well, let me ask it this way. When you say digital collaboration, is a principle of yours that you're there, that there's some co-creation? Or is it the type of thing where they go, here's my spec, send me back something, you write it, black box, like what, you know, within that spectrum, where do you sit? Um, it's a good question. I think there's actually some some pretty decent partnership there where I... I don't just take the one thing and then give it back to them. There's definitely some back and forth and some working together to make sure that we're telling that story together, even if they are relying on my expertise to get them to that finished product or piece of content. To make sure that their voice, their tonality yes. comes through. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So we're starting to say you're doing what, like this is an example of doing what might be focusing around how you particularly collaborate, how you co-create. And again, maybe that's not mm -hmm. it, but like, that's what you're hunting for there. How are you uniquely going to apply your craft that others might not, that you think is going to be more compelling for the customer. And then let's do a final one and organize how. Now, organize how now might be really simple, but right now you're delivering X amount per year. You're trying to deliver a million. You're probably going to need more people to deliver that million on an ongoing basis. And so you'll have to cross that chasm to say, how am I going to do that? You could be saying... Oh, I'm going to organize myself through a network of you know expert writers, editors, et cetera, or I'm going mm -hmm. to do it through a franchise model, or I'm going to do it through, you know, I'm going to hire X people. So you're starting to start to think about the choices you might make around how you would organize for growth. For me, it would have to be, as I'm thinking about it, it needs to be just a strong core team that has definite areas of expertise where there's some overlap, but we all have our areas where we really shine. And this gets to a, another facet of the business that I'm not able to really deliver on yet, but it's something that I am thinking about for the future is just around that storytelling isn't just about the words on the page. Storytelling is also visual. Mm. And so yeah. that is an area where I don't have a ton of expertise. So I would definitely need a team member and a, and a partner whose area of expertise lies in, in that area to really bring that forward. And that's one of the ways in which I see expansion and growth happening as well as, again, just finding those areas where I have some knowledge, but definitely need a partner in order to be confident in offering that as a, a service. I mean, in some ways, you're not to put words in your mouth, but you're trying to evolve the traditional copywriting business into something that is more multidimensional, multi-channel, multi-technology. Like it's not just the written word, but the written word is the core to everything. Right. And how do you create an organization that can then provide all of those skills without just having a bunch of freelancers out there? That's also your yes. unique process. Yeah, in my mind. exactly. Yeah, and I think that you added a further clarification to what storytelling and story-based means to you and your offering. Like visual is a stand you're taking. That is a part of how you deliver. And that might be unique. That might be something that you're, you believe is the way to get things across in this environment, in this market. And that's what people need. So that's another good word to make sure you're standing on. So Aaron, we started out for afternoon tea and copy. It sounds a little bit like this. You're going to build a million dollar annual recurring business by offering story-based, including visual. 
annual writing services to purpose-driven growth businesses via a digitally co-created method, something like that. So you're starting to see the the story take shape. Iteration one. Yeah, sounding pretty good so far. (laughs) And we just did this in 15 minutes with Erin and her boutique company, I'll say. Imagine taking these five steps into a much larger organization and trying to get dozens, if not hundreds of people to rally around what these things are. It's a difficult exercise. It's a necessary exercise. It's an incredibly rewarding exercise that produces what your strategy is as a business. And it comes down to these five steps. So we've got our five steps here. We've got how do you build a strategy statement, why it's important, why it's important to drive customer obsession. But we're now in the middle of this pandemic. There's racial unrest. Glenn, from your perspective, being out in the market, working with companies on a daily basis through these exercises, why do you think it matters more today than it even did in the past? We start with the pandemic. Just from a pure mechanics point of view, like how do you go engage your organization in this type of discussion? The discussion really doesn't change. But your ability to go and facilitate that discussion remotely, effectively, means you probably need to be looking at visual collaboration tools. We happen to use Mural, but there are a lot of great ones. And you have to get good at engaging your organization remotely. And that's a skill set that I would say, like right now, if I were to tell a company what skills that you are not thinking of that you should be investing in, it's facilitation, remote facilitation, running effective meetings, because What you have is you have everybody now in their homes and whatever degree of connection and empathy you had built up with your organization, it ran dry almost overnight. And trying to build a strategy statement and send clear signals about what you want people to be doing, they're feeling even more disconnected potentially. And the clarity is even more important. And then I think if you pivot from there to issues of equality and the racial challenges that that we're having... This goes back to, Aaron, some of the conversation about like how do these words help you say what you stand for and what you live? And I think the values of your organization need to find a comfortable home within your strategy, and it has to be legit. So I'm not suggesting, hey, let's make sure that we add this word into our statement. Yes, you should, if that's what you believe, that is going to show what your values are and how your strategy helps you live that. You're going to need to make sure that You can stand up to that test of living through the the reality of where you are today and where you're trying to go. It's an opportunity to revisit your strategy statement if you have it. And if you're trying to really bring forward to your customer's experience and your employee's experience where you stand on these social issues, it's got to come more front and center, but it's got to be realistic and it's got to have a a plan behind it for how you're going to close the gap. Unpacking within like the organization, how you're organized is the perfect place where you start to find areas of uh, equality, for example, and those types of elements. Every company right now is looking at itself going, okay, how do we reinvent? What does this mean to us? How do I reestablish growth? And it's a doggy dog world. The companies right now are sitting there going, how do I go grab market share from my competitor who maybe has more debt on their balance sheet or maybe doesn't have as much clarity as we have? These exercises are the exercises that propel your business into those positive outcomes. So uh, it's very timely. I think the other timely piece to add to that, Eric, is that you're also at a moment in time where I think that more businesses are recognizing that there's more than a single bottom line that might matter. And so there's no better place to sort of put your money where your mouth is as it relates to your values than in directly in your strategy statement that your people are using every day to make their decisions. Yeah. So that you're also at that pivot to really change the, the tone and the, the values of your company. 
Glenn, for everyone who wants to take this framework and work through it themselves, I know that you have a few tools that you've put together through Think It Done. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that and maybe share where people can access them if they want to bring this to their team. And again, go through these exercises and start working on that strategic statement. Yeah, 100%. So as I mentioned earlier, one of the visual collaboration tools that we use to engage our customers, uh, we were doing this prior to pandemic, but it's only become more critical during, is a tool called Mural. And within there, what we've done is we've created a framework and a canvas that brings an organization through this exercise. And it's got this set of questions and a group of exercises that tee you up to be able to go engage your, your organization. We try to make it very approachable, very straightforward. The thing to do is if you can get the right people in a room and just start asking these questions, you're already getting ahead of the game because you're engaging the organization and trying to drive towards that clarity. So we'll have on our website at thinkitdone.com, we'll have a link to that mural where you guys can go and check it out for free and, and give it a whirl. Fantastic. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing the story of Blue Wolf and its strategic statement journey, how you've now taken that and really embedded that into kind of the foundation of Think It Done and everything that you're doing there to help build really strong customer-facing teams. And thank you again for working with Afternoon Tea and Copy. I definitely have a much better sense myself of what I value and what my goals are. And I'm excited to continue working and refining this to get it to that really powerful, tight strategic statement. So thank you. Stolf, it was great to hang out with you, man. And uh, I miss this stuff. Eric, Aaron, really appreciate the opportunity. I'm excited, Aaron, to see you hit that $2 million goal. Thanks for listening to our interview with Glenn Stoffel, co-founder of Think It Done. If you'd like to create a strategic statement for your business, make sure to check out the framework and supporting materials at thinkitdone.com. We'll also link to them in our show notes at customerobsessed.net. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss a customer-obsessed moment.